0: We'll see if we hear the thunder and lightning in the background.
1: That'd be fun. Make me feel like a villain. (laughs) (laughs) I have some evil takes. Well, I guess we are reading about a villain, so. Fitting ambiance.
0: to another episode of This Fits Happy?* I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. We're talking about chapter 20 this week, piracy.
1: Yarg. All right. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel like I want i want to do something there, you know?
0: <laughs> I like it. I like it. You should chime in with whatever comes to your head.
1: I usually this. do. I usually That's try true. to. That's
0: true. Yeah. Well, this week we're talking about piracy and we are with Vivacia, well, with Wintrow and Vivacia and Kennet. I believe we're in Kennet's head for this. We're first in part. in
1: Vivacia's head.
0: Okay. So the prey is in sight, and Vivacia is feeling very excited at this moment. Wintrow's shared soul searching, all his anxieties and structured morality, fell away from her like paint peeling off quickened wizard wood. She heard the lookouts shout as the sail came into view and something ancient stirred in her time to hunt. When the pirates on her deck took up the lookout's fierce cry, she gave herself voice like the shrill k- key, key! <laughs> <laughs> of a swooping
1: hawk. People are already mad about my glove. They're going to be writing in really key. <laughs>
0: I was just saying how it was written out. <laughs> So she is very excited and is feeling a dragon thrill of hunting prey at this point.
1: Yeah. Um. As it continues on, it talks about how the billowing sails give her a feeling that she feels like she almost remembers.
0: Yeah. Stirred in her memories that were not born in human lives.
1: And she lifted her hands and her fingers, crooked like talons, reached for the fleeing ship. So definitely lots of hints Imagery here yeah. yeah hints that maybe the live ships are connected to dragons in some way
0: and Kenneth is right near her saying you see he cries out in triumph it is in your blood my lady i knew it this is what you were made for not some sedate toting of cargo like a village woman with a bucket of water after them ah they see you they see you look how they scramble but it will avail them nothing
1: So, I want to know, is Kenneth just saying, see, like, this is just like a turn of phrase. He's just like, you know, see, you were meant to do this. Or does he consciously or subconsciously know that she is part dragon because of his connection with Paragon?
0: I don't think it's anything about the dragon stuff. I think it's just turn of phrase and also part of his convincing her like you were born to be a pirate all along Mm. see I'm right
1: (laughs) okay he just happens to actually be right right yeah good to know I also do wonder if this would have a similar effect on other live ships that are older like Ophelia, is she? if she was turned pirate, would she get that racing feeling and feel connected to the dragon part of herself? Or is this happening so clearly of, because vivacious is so young?
0: Maybe more so that vivacious is young, but I kind of feel that it would happen to Ophelia as well. Maybe not as overt as this, mm. but Ophelia definitely... Wanted to fight back and not stop against the Chalcedians. Right.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: There seems to be some sort of bloodlust in all of them.
1: Hmm. Scary thought.
0: Wintro is also near them and Vivatia kind of observes him clenching his jaw and he made not a sound. He clenches his jaw near as tight as he held the disapproval inside him. But the wild pounding of his heart betrayed him. His blood sang with this wild pursuit. His whole soul quivered into anticipation of the capture. He might deny this enthusiasm to himself, but he could not hide it from her. I don't believe that she's accurately reading him here. I don't think so either. I think, yes, there's going to be adrenaline because in any situation there's adrenaline. But I don't think she can distinguish... between that and fear.
1: Right. I also was wondering, you know, is any part of this influenced by her own feelings? Right. Because she says that his feelings peeled away from her and she's clearly very strongly feeling these emotions. And especially if they're dragon related, it's going to be a lot bigger of a feeling than human emotions. And so how much of his reaction is in response to the link that they have where he's sharing what she's feeling and how much is that, like you said, misread fear where this is a real pirate attack that he's about to watch firsthand. That would be scary or heart would be racing. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're excited to see the death and carnage. And we also know because of later point of view, he's really worried about what's going to happen to Vivatio with all of the fighting happening. Mm-hmm. So, part of this also could be that he's really nervous about what's going to happen and what it means for the future with Vivacia.
0: Mm-hmm. Kenneth and Sorkor had not chosen this prey randomly. The rumor of the cross patch had reached Sorkor's ears weeks ago. More recently, with his captain's continuing recovery, he had shared the news with Kenneth. Captain Avery of the Crosspatch had bragged, not only in Jamalia City, but in several smaller ports as well, that no pirate, no matter how daring or righteous, would dissuade him from the slave trade. It had been a foolish boast, Kennett had told Vivatia. Avery's reputation was already well known. He carried only the finest cargo educated slaves suitable for tutors, house servants, and estate managers. He transported the best of Jamilia's civilized wares as well, fine brandies and incenses, perfumes, and intricate silverwork. His customers in Chelsea expected the extravagantly fine from him and paid accordingly for his goods. While his ship represented a rich target, it was not one that Kennet would have ordinarily chosen. Why challenge a ship that was fleet and well-armed, crewed by well-disciplined men, when there were easier prey to seize? But Avery had spoken once too often and once too recklessly. Such impudence could not be tolerated. Kenneth too, had a reputation to uphold. Avery had been foolish to challenge it. And so we get a little bit of why they're going after this ship. And again, this is from Vivacious' point of view. So she has totally bought into this narrative that she's been given.
1: And she's definitely taking Kenneth's word for being the truth. And even when this could be a slight criticism of him of, oh, he wouldn't normally go after somebody that's well-armed. Right. He's only doing it now to save face. And instead of thinking critically about that or having the opportunity to be like, "Mm, that doesn't necessarily make him a great person if that's the only reason he's ended up going after this slaver. Mm -hmm. Since it then proves the point that it's not necessarily altruistic <laughs> of Kenneth to be doing this in the first place, but instead she's so smitten with him that it's of course he had to retaliate with this and it makes sense. And it's not that big of a deal. And I don't know mm-hmm. it's a lot of downplaying of what that actually means. If you read into it a little bit more.
0: And she considers Wintra's words from last night. He had bluntly condemned Kennet, saying he hunts this ship for glory, not righteousness. Other slavers carry far more slaves aboard them in great misery and deprivation. Avery, I have heard, does not chain his charges, but lets them move freely below decks. He is generous with both food and water, so his merchandise arrives in good condition and brings fine prices. Kennet chooses to pursue Avery's ship not out of hatred of slavery, but for wealth and fame. Avicia responds, saying that is not how he feels about it when he thinks of it. She had not elaborated on the topic further, for she herself was not completely certain of what Kenneth felt. She knew there were depths to him that he concealed from all. She tried a new tack. I do not think the slaves below his decks will be less grateful for their freedom than those held in squalor and deprivation. Do you think slavery is acceptable if the slaver is treated or the slave is treated like a prized horse or dog? Of course not, he had retorted, and then from there she steered them into clearer waters.
1: That she could navigate more nimbly. Yes. So, we really see how big of a change that Vivacia has gone through in this conversation. Because there's, first of all, a lot of things that she's keeping from Wintrow in this interaction. And, second of all, a lot of manipulation of Wintrow. Yeah. Which... I don't necessarily think she was doing so purposely before. And so it's interesting to see that change in her. It kind of pushes her closer to what Kenneth is and makes the, I'm sure is because their bond is growing tighter and she's reaching out to him all the time, but it's definitely interesting to see her disparage Wintro while not actually listening to what he's saying or contemplating it at all And then realizing she doesn't actually have any proof to what she's saying. And Mm -hmm. so changing the topic and doing a whataboutism and just trying to generally get him off the topic so she can control everything more.
0: She uses Kenneth's own tactics against Wintrow. Yeah. That Kenneth uses in conversation with Wintrow later as an example. Mm -hmm. Just kind of steering him off the current topic and like, no, your arguments aren't right. Let's talk about this. Right. (laughs) But she considers Kenneth's thoughts today and she feels that it's for the lust of the hunt, not for anything. She's kind of reaching into his thoughts now and they both mirror each other in that way. They want to be hunting this small ship, the Crosspatch. Pragmatic as he was, he would not have chosen this challenging prey. Neither could he resist the contest once he had been taunted to it. So he, so excuse me, Vivatia is feeling very high on energy and adrenaline right now and really, really agreeing with Kennet. And that's kind of where we stand with her.
1: Yeah. And I guess we should say last time we saw Vivatia or we had the point of view from Vivatia, she was telling Wintro that she was going to tell Kennet the next day that she is willing to go turn pirate for him.
0: Right. So a little bit of time has passed before this chapter. Yeah,
1: definitely. Happens. But also we see now just how smitten she is with Kenneth and how much piracy suits her, I guess. Right.
0: So now we switch over to Wintro and his feelings. Wintro felt a queasy anticipation build inside him. Repeatedly, he had warned Kennet that no blood must be shed on vivacious decks. It tried to explain to the pirate that the ship must forever carry the memories of the slain but he could not convey convey to him how wearisome a load they were which is funny because can probably knows yeah but i don't i don't know if he does for sure because remember vivatia opened herself fully to wintrow to like bear the brunt of the memories i yeah. don't know if paragon would have shielded him from that
1: yeah it's really hard to tell. You would think on some level he would understand the concept, though.
0: I think he does. And
1: especially if Wintrow... not show who, it. Yeah. And it's hard to tell because Wintrow coming to him would mean something to Kennet. And I think he would listen more than he lets on to Wintrow. Yeah. However, would he think of it more as Wintrow's squeamish around blood and is using the ship as an excuse or would he recognize that, oh yeah, no, live ships are different, but I can't let him know that I know that. So
0: I think it's more of that second one, and also he wouldn't want He wouldn't want to be seen being directed by Wintro. Right.
1: Right. right. So
0: he's gonna remain aloof as much as possible. Right. So Wintro comes away thinking, I couldn't really convey the importance of it.
1: Yeah. And I think knowing that Wintro Went to Kenneth with the risk of being turned away or having it backfire and really was adamant that, hey, no blood can be shed on this deck. We don't want to do that to Vivacia is really sweet, especially because we know that their relationship isn't on the best ground. But even with that, Wintro pushed himself to make this request. And it's really sad to me that. This is, like, what Vyvesha wanted. She wanted him to take a stand for her and be on her side and fight for her rights or whatever. And he's doing that, and it just kind of doesn't matter.
0: Yeah,
1: Vyvesha didn't talk about it at all in her point of view that we just saw. So I don't even know if she cares or knows that that happened. She'd have to because it happened on her deck. So...
0: But again, she's not fully aware of everything being said all the time. Know? Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I don't know. So that like made me a little sad to know that. wintrow's trying really hard. And even with the relationship at this weird, rocky phase that it's in, he's still on her side. Yeah. And if this is something she wants to do, he's trying to do that without making her have to deal with the negatives of it. I don't know.
0: Well, the Marietta and the Vivacia pull their trap and they eventually do box the cross patch and then they start fighting. Vivacia is kind of sitting well back and there's some archers that are on the Vivacia shooting arrows to the cross patch, but mostly it's Marietta doing the fighting and the boarding here. So the extent of the participation in the battle was those archers on Vivacia, and mm-hmm. all the while Vivacia is just watching with Kenneth there narrating. He spoke in a low voice as if he were instructing her every now and then a gust of wind would bring his muttered words to Wintrow's ears but they were obviously intended for vivatia. There you see him first across the railings and onto the enemy's deck him in the red kerchief that's Sudge a fine rascal always has to be first behind him now that's Rog the lad idolizes Sudge which may get him killed some day the figure had nodded to his words while her eyes drank in the scene Her fists were clenched at her chest, her lips parted with excitement. When Wintrow reached to her, he felt her confused enthusiasm. The emotions of the men aboard, a mixture of lust, envy, and excitement, beat against her like a rising tide. A separate strand of emotion was Kennet's pride in his men. Like a horde of ants, the brightly clad pirates surged onto the crosspatch's deck and spread to the battle. The wind and the open water between the ships muffled the curses and screams. If Vivatia was aware that the arrows that flew from her own rigging were piercing human flesh, she gave no sign of it. Distance here. The slaughter was a spectacle of motion and color. There was pageantry to it, drama and suspense. A man fell from the rigging of the crosspatch. He struck a spar, tangled briefly about it, and then crashed down to the deck. Winchrow winced at the impact, but Vivatia didn't even blink. Her attention was fixed on the foredeck. Where the captain of the vessel battled Sorkor. And through this whole thing, Vivacious eyes were bright.
1: Yeah, and she's really drinking in this scene and taking it all in and is excited. It's cool, it's interesting, it's something new. Mm-hmm. And she's happy. But Wintro does point out, like he says, they're far enough away to where the reality of what is happening isn't as evident.
0: Yeah, he, he looks over to Kennet and thinks, She could see the excitement and action of the battle, but she was insulated from the horror. Blood did not spatter her decks, the wind carried away the smoke and the screams of the dying and the wounded, and like a stain spreading, the pirates flowed slowly but surely over the deck of the captured vessel. Vivacia saw it all, but she was detached from it. Did Kennet seek to accustom her to violence by a gradual introduction?
1: Yeah, and it's and a good yes. point. <laughs> yeah, basically. And, you know, de- desensitize her to the that sort of thing so that when it happens closer and she's more involved, she's already so used to it that she doesn't even think anything of it. Right. So definitely a little bit wicked of it.
0: <laughs> And Wintro tries to call attention to that, basically just stating bluntly, men are dying over there. Lives are ending in pain and terror. Vivatia glances quickly over at him, but then quickly back to the battle, and Kenneth is the one who responds. He basically just says that they brought it onto themselves, they chose this, they were well-prepared already, they boasted about it, they invited this. They proclaimed their readiness with their boasts. Recall that they were well-supplied with leather jerkins, swords, and bows. Would they have such things aboard if they did not expect battle, if they did not know they deserved to be challenged? Kenneth gave a deep laugh. (laughs) No, he answered himself. That is not slaughter you see over there. It is a contest of wills. One could even say it is but a physical manifestation of the eternal conflict between righteousness and injustice. People are dying, Winthrop repeated stubbornly. He tried to put conviction in his words, but he found his certainty fading before the pirate's persuasive words. So Kenneth's just sitting over here like I I don't want to use this word because it's not, but it's basically victim blaming. I mean, as much as slavers can be victims in this case. Yeah, which is
1: Kenneth's point later that like, you know, they, yeah, they are slavers, they're slavers. And, and they're fit for battle. It's not like. They're unsuspecting merchants, which also can kind it of goes after. So, right, I don't know it, but it is really just trying to be this like. See, it's not piracy; isn't so bad. We're, they
0: invited it on themselves. They bought weapons. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't have wanted to get boarded. Right. But obviously, since they bought weapons and armor, they wanted to. They knew. They knew this was going to happen.
1: And it's it's it is really hard because the people that are being murdered right now are slavers like you said so it's like morally who's in the right here because a murder is still a murder but if you murder a bad person what I don't know very interesting moral conundrum (laughs) and Wintrow is struggling I mean he is only like what 14 so of course he's struggling to put into words that it's not necessarily that they aren't bad people, but who are we to be the ones to decide their life is done right. because of bad decisions they're making. And he's just too young to be able to articulate that well. And because of that, Kenneth is able to take advantage of the situation and take control of that narrative before Wintrow can taint vivacious view of what is going on.
0: And, uh, Kenneth continues kind of, teaching life lessons here and mm-hmm. pulling a, uh, a flood of words over Wintrow just to agree with him, basically saying, you know, death is not all bad. All of us are dying. Violence is not all bad because that happens in nature, but you know what these things bring is more than enough to compensate for any violence done. Vivesha is going to outlive us all. She has to get used to this kind of stuff. So, he says, we are warriors for the right, my lady and I. If we must sweep away evil, let us do it swiftly, even if it involves pain. Somewhere in that seamless logic, Wintero knew there were loose threads. If he could find but one, he could unravel the man's whole argument. He retreated to a line he had read in a book. One of the differences between good and evil is that good can endure the existence of evil and still prevail. Evil, however, is always ultimately vanquished by good. Kind of smiles and just kind of responds and rebuts against that. Think about what you just said. What kind of murky good can tolerate evil and permit it to go on? Good that fears for its own comfort and safety does that, and transforms itself from true good to blinkered complacency. Shall we turn away from the misery in the ship's hold, saying, Well, we are all free men here. That is the best we can do, and they will have to look out for themselves. Surely that is not what you were taught in your monastery. That is not what I meant, Wintrow retorted. Good endures evil as a stone can endure rain. It does not tolerate it. That is, I believe it is over, kind of interjected smoothly.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see this argument take place because it really is a case of a child arguing with an adult where the child is trying to articulate something but doesn't have enough life experience to fully articulate and fully yeah. form the finalized thought. Like Wintro hasn't thought of every possibility of this argument. He's not, he hasn't really prepared. Mm-hmm. And whereas Kenneth probably has been waiting for Wintro to do this so he could have the speech prepared, but also Kenneth has had more life experience and truly believes in what he's doing. Not necessarily. He's a the, smooth talker too. Yeah. And not necessarily in the way that, He's telling Wintro, but he does believe that he can change Wintro and Vivacia's mind if he makes it seem more virtuous. And so he has more experience as a 40 something year old to, you know, redirect the conversation in a way that plays it better for him and to be able to point out the things that are wrong with Wintro's argument. Right. It's very, I don't know. I, and I do feel bad for Wintro because he's trying so hard here and he's making really good points. It just, he's too young and doesn't have enough experience in this sort of thing to be able to do it well, unfortunately. And so it's not really getting to Vivatia, I don't think. And even if Wintro could more eloquently propose his point of view, I still don't know that it would get to Vivatia.
0: Yeah, it, it might slow down her transition, but I don't think so. Yeah.
1: It's um, just at this point, there's too much between their relationship where I think he just has less of a say. And part of that is because is always on his moral high ground, I think. And so he's always morally above everybody else and always talking about how people are choosing the wrong moral decision. And part of that started with whether or not vivatia was a morally good being in general right and so i really don't think the moral path is a winning one for wintro at least when it comes to Vivacia, because of that
0: so the fight is pretty much all wrapped up now and Kenneth looks over to wintro says care to go to lad it might be instructive for you to witness the gratitude of those we have saved it may change your mind about what we do wintro shook his head slowly Kennet laughed. Then his voice changed. Come with me anyway. Briskly now, no dawdling. I'll educate you in spite of yourself. Wintrow half suspected that the pirate's true motivation was to keep him from speaking privately with Vivacia about all they had just witnessed. Kennet wanted his words to be the ones she considered as she pondered the taking of the cross patch. Wintrow clenched his jaws and turned to obey the pirate's bidding. He could endure. He was shocked when kennet threw an arm across his shoulders he leaned on him as if for support the captain's voice was affable as he said learn to lose graciously wintrow for you aren't really losing you're gaining what i have to teach you i have much to teach you and as they were sailing across in a little boat over to the marietta and the Crosspatch, patch Kenneth leans down and whispers in wintrow's ear or speaks in his ear Even a stone is worn down by the rain eventually, my boy. No shame to the stone in that.
1: Kenneth's attitude towards Wintrow is so interesting, right? Yeah. Like, at this point, there's this, like... Almost fatherly figure that he's trying to be to Wintro, mm-hmm. where he's trying to get a good relationship. He wants, he wants to teach Wintro. And I truly believe this isn't all an act. Like I really do think he sees Wintro as somebody worth teaching to come up behind him. Right. But it is kind of weird because he has never felt that way about anybody. And I'm not sure if he feels that way because Wintro has to be around for Vivatia. And if he can fully convince Wintro to be under his wing, that's better for him. Or if it's something else, like their weird connection they have because Wintro saved his life. Like, I don't really know where it's coming from, but...
0: It doesn't have to come from one place either. I think right. it's all of those things that you mentioned. Plus, I also believe it stems from the desire to not be ignorant, right? Yeah, there's that connection, the young boy here. And he's like, I'm going to teach him. I'm going to raise him properly how he should follow in my footsteps mm. and be a perfect tool for me. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it just is. I think the part that interests me the most is that Kenneth doesn't have those weird thoughts of Wintro betraying him like he seems to do with everyone else when he's nice to them for too long.
0: But like we mentioned before, he hasn't had those thoughts in a long time, except when he was away from Vivacia. That's true. And he hasn't been away from Vivacia with Wintro yet. So when they go to other islands, then we'll have to pay attention. That's true. Fair enough. And then we jump over to Elthea. Couple different perspectives here. Yes. And she is heading down to the beach with Paragon on it and yes. she hears some pipe music. She has
1: promised to meet brashan and Amber by noon so that they can talk to Paragon. Mm-hmm. And when she hears the pipe music, she's very curious as to, she thinks there must be somebody sitting on the beach playing because it's not really music.
0: It sounds it's, like experimentation.
1: Yeah. So it has to be a young person playing on the beach. And as she gets closer, she realizes Paragon has pipes that he's playing. Mm-hmm. And then she feels really bad because yeah. she has in her multiple years of knowing Paragon, she has never once thought to bring him a gift. And Amber has known him for a year and already has given him so much. And she just sees it as something she herself is lacking.
0: Althea had been his friend for years, but had never perceived him as anything other than a failed live ship. She was fond of him and saw him as a person, not a thing. Nevertheless, her image of him had never changed. He was a ship that had disappointed his trust, an unsafe vessel that would never sail again. Amber had unlocked the part of him that was a lively, if stunted, child and responded to that. It had made all the difference in Paragon's spirit. She knew a moment's hesitancy as she draws closer because she knows that what they're there to do is ask Paragon to be a, a live ship again.
1: Right. And to sail for them. Yes. Not with his family. So she doesn't really want to take away this blissful time where he gets to be a kid and have fun,
0: Yeah, I guess. And this is where, once again, comes in Althea's selfishness and her... I guess, lack of empathy for other people in some cases. She says she would ask him to do that which he most feared. What would it do to him? For the first time since Brashen had suggested the plan, she truly wondered how it would affect Paragon. And yes, it's understandable that she's not thinking of that first because there's lots of other factors to consider in this plan. But Amber even said in the first meeting, and this was... Days ago. I don't remember exactly how long it's if it says in this part, but that last chapter, Amber at the end says we have to ask Paragon, too, because he might not agree. (laughs) Right. And Althea just put that out of her mind.
1: Yeah. And the fact that it took her seeing Paragon in person. Right. And took this long, even.
0: Even when they made the plan, like, okay, we have to talk to Paragon now. She didn't think about it until now.
1: Yeah. Not even once. And then. Even as she is sitting here thinking like, oh, what actually might this do to him? But you know what? Vivatia is more important than that. I don't really care.
0: And it's their plan, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure she cares, but.
1: Yeah, but it is it is inherently selfish. I think of her to put Vivatia before Paragon in this instance. Obviously, she doesn't know that Vivatia is safe and okay. So she. And loving
0: her new life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So she doesn't know the situation Vivace in, so of course she's going to be very worried about her ship. But what about Paragon? Like, I don't know. It just, I, it makes me sad that she is, she does
0: think that way, I guess. And then there's the end of this paragraph where she thinks he was a live ship. He had been created to sail, and if she could restore that to him, it would be greater than any trinket Amber had ever given him. It's just, oh... She means well, but it's her self-importance Yeah, inserted into everything. It's Althea who's going to give him the greatest gift. Althea's going to make him sail again. And that's who he is. And that's exactly what he needs. And it's better than anything Amber ever did.
1: And also it was Amber's idea. So right, even, like I, even if this does go well, why does she think that's a gift she is one capable of giving him? And number two, the one in the ownership to give it to him. Right. It's Amber's money buying him. It's Amber's idea to do it. I Like, she's not even going to be captaining the ship or doing anything but going along. I yeah, just,
0: it's, it's frustrating. And obviously, like we talked about before, her heart is in the right place. She right. means extremely well. She likes Paragon as a friend. It's just these little character quirks pop up and they yep. hugely annoy me.
1: <laughs> it is... I do think it's a little bit funny that she says, "I don't think of Paragon as a thing. I think of him as a person." But then also, he's Holy a ship. He's meant to sail. A failed and,
0: live ship. And yeah, and he's it. a failed
1: live ship. And yeah, like she doesn't think of him as a person. She just knows that that's a nice thing to do. And so, of course, mm-hmm. she thinks that way.
0: Yeah, that's she frames it in her mind because that is the proper way to think of about him mm-hmm. but doesn't actually think about him like that yeah it just has of, that label
1: yeah, based the correct everything label.
0: yeah. <laughs> well she refused to think about what it would do to them all if he failed again and approaches she smells a cook fire she's kind of approaching and thinking about the changes that amber has already wrought on paragon within the paragon she had wrought a gradual change some of which althea approved and some of which horrified her "'The captain's quarters now gleamed with polished and oiled woodwork. "'The brassware had been buffed to a sheen. "'The vandalized cupboards and and wrenched hinges had all been lovingly restored. "'The room was redolent of linseed oil, turpentine, and beeswax. "'In the evenings when amber lit a lantern inside the chamber, all was honey and gold.' "'Dismaying was the trapdoor she had cut in the floor that led down into the hold. "'Both Brashen and Althea had been initially outraged on seeing it. "'She had tried to explain to them that she had wanted swifter access to the holds for her supplies, "'but neither of them accepted that. "'No ship, they explained, had a trapdoor in the captain's chamber. "'Even securely bolted and covered with a fine carpet, it offended Althea.' "'And she lists or says that Amber had restored other parts of the ship as well.' galley stove had been cleaned and polished, and though even though Amber did most of her cooking on the beach, all of her pots and pans were stored in there. And Amber would only say that restoring these places seemed to make Paragon feel better, so she had done it. And Althea is kind of wondering, hmm. This was Amber's plan to sail Paragon and all of these places that needed to be restored are done.
1: (laughs) Yeah, are already have been done for a while, long before this plan was even needed. So a little crazy. But I mean, we as the reader know, especially a rereader, I guess we don't know for sure. First time readers if they would know, but we know that Amber is the fool and therefore probably knows Paragon is going to go out to sea. There's a chance.
0: There is a chance. And I think... I think it's partially true what Amber said, that it made Paragon feel better, but it also probably felt right to Amber to right. do these things. Exactly. And if that chance was fulfilled that Paragon wouldn't sail out, why not do them anyways? Yeah. You know?
1: It's better to be prepared, and also it helps her friend, so she's doing it. It makes sense. But it is... Althea does try to stop herself from having the, like, suspicious thoughts of... What's Amber's real motive? Because she's like, well, Amber's a good person and I like Amber and just kind of stops thinking about it.
0: Right. And then approaches Paragon finally. Greets him, says, are Amber and Brashin here? And he says, where else? They're inside. Brashin wanted to look the linkage to my rudder. Amber is with him. They'll be out in a bit. Compliments his pipes a bit and he says, they're not quite new. I can't really play anything and Amber doesn't want to teach me. Amber says that as long as the sound pleases me, the music is mine, but I want to be able to play them.
1: It doesn't say Amber won't teach him.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. I've had them for a day or so, but I can't, still can't play anything. Amber says it doesn't matter if I don't follow a tune. I feel like Amber didn't offer to teach a tune. <laughs>
1: Does Amber know how to play?
0: You think the fool doesn't know how to play a musical instrument?
1: Do we ever see the fool play? it?
0: No, but I think I think the fool could. Oh.
1: I don't know. I don't feel like Beloved has that in them. Mm. Maybe. maybe. Also interestingly
0: interestingly, uh Fitz plays the sea pipes. Oh. Patience That's right. That's Patience right. gave him the sea pipes and had him play. I yeah, that's fair.
1: They also gave him like the loot, and he wasn't very good at that, right? Yes, uh, maybe.
0: He definitely stuck with the pipes.
1: Yeah. That was the one he had the most luck with.
0: Mm-hmm. But I just think that's a little fun connection with uh, Amber carving Paragon yeah. to look like Fitz later. Yes.
1: Also, um, I wanted to point out this was a couple paragraphs ago, but when Althea does come to the beach, she does point out the way Paragon looks. And it says that just his eyes are chopped with an axe. And the rest of his face is intact. And I wanted to specifically point that out. It doesn't necessarily matter for the rest of the book or the rest of this chapter or anything. But I wanted to point that out because I was under the impression that his whole top half of his head was gone.
0: No, no, no. And
1: so I was always really confused at how Amber later is able to carve. Recarve him? Yeah, Yeah. recarve. Because I was like, how do you with half a face? But
0: so no, yeah, it's it's just, just his eyes. Just the eyes that were hatcheted, and then also the seven pointed star was chopped into him as well on yes. his chest, I believe.
1: It was burned into
0: him. I thought. burned into him. Okay, yeah, it, into him. maybe not. Maybe. Yeah. Either way. Well, there is as as they're talking here, there is a disturbance in some of the seagulls up the beach, and. She looks down and sees two women were making their way towards them, a portly man trundled along behind them. Althea frowned. They were early. She hadn't even broached the subject to Paragon yet, and soon he would discover it. it had been decided without him. She had to get Brashen and Amber out here quickly before they arrived. "'What disturbed the gulls?' Paragon demanded. "'Just some walkers on the beach. I'd like to, uh, have a cup of tea.' "'Do you mind if I go aboard and ask Amber for the use of her kettle?' Go ahead, I'm sure she won't mind. Welcome aboard. She felt like a traitor as he unconcernedly lifted the pipes to his lips again. In a very short time, his entire life would be changed.
1: So I was just thinking, it actually is way worse that this is the first time she's thought about what's going to happen to Paragon. Especially because we know this isn't the first time she's seen him since they've talked about the plan. Right,
0: because she's seen some of the changes on the inside of Paragon.
1: Yeah, so... She's been around Paragon and hasn't even thought about the effect on him. That's, ugh, Althea.
0: Well, they uh, are all together, Brash and Amber, and Althea. Brashin seems to be saying that the rudder seems to be in good condition, but it's hard to tell. Or at least the linkage to the rudder seems to be in good condition. Right. Once the ship is freed, then we'll have to check how it moves. Greece wouldn't hurt anything, however. We could put Clef on it. Despite her worry, Althea had to smile. The slave boy was an extreme annoyance to Brashen, according to Brashen. Yet somehow he seemed to have already slipped into the role of ship's boy. Brashen gave him all the small, uncomplicated tasks that no one else had time to do. The boy had spoken true when he said he knew his way around a deck. He seemed completely comfortable living aboard the derelict ship. Paragon appeared to have accepted him much more swiftly than the boy had adapted to the living figurehead. Clef was still very shy of speaking directly to Paragon. A blessing, Althea decided, considering the secret they had been sealing from the ship for the last week. So it has been about a week.
1: Yeah. And I feel really bad because, I don't know, poor poor Paragon. (laughs) All these people making decisions, not even letting him be part of it. But I love that Clef is there and is starting to get along with Paragon. Paragon, I feel like, just loves kids. Yeah. Probably because he is partially a kid yeah
0: he's didn't really mature past that at least part of him didn't
1: yeah and so i don't know it makes me so sad because he's so sweet to clef and boy Kenneth, and just i don't know boyo and (laughs) boyo later but then althea goes into talking about how this whole progress or process wasn't As simple as they were hoping that Devod actually put up way more of a fight than anybody expected. And it took him a really long time to even admit that he was involved with trying to sell Paragon to the new traders. When that
0: happened, Althea left the room.
1: Yeah. She got really upset, which is crazy because she knew that this was a thing. Right. So, like,
0: why is she so? Well, she was taking Amber's word for it, right? And then she sees the evidence in front of her. I guess. I don't know. Disgust filled her. He was a Bingtown trader, born of the same tradition she was. How could he have considered doing that to a live ship? How could he sink to tempting the Ludluck family with money to agree to so heinous a thing? What he had done was traitorous, cruel, and wrong. For money and for the sake of gaining influence with the new traders, he had betrayed his heritage. Beneath the disgust churned her hurt. Devadra start. Source of sweets... And pickaback rides when she was tiny. Devad, who had watched her grow up and sent her flowers on her 16th birthday. Devad the betrayer.
1: Uh, yeah. It's not that surprising. And I think it's kind of weird to me that Devad trafficking slaves was not something that made her so angry she had to walk away. Right. But Devad being open to people that weren't old traders buying live ship is that bad like where are your morals at girlfriend <laughs> i don't understand cuz she has not talked to him since she can't yeah. like trust herself to be cordial enough to not throw this deal away if she's around devod so she tries really hard not to talk to him now and it just is crazy i don't know i just can't believe everything else was okay but this is the line i don't know but also I just wanted to point out pick-a-back rides. I know. Is that like a weird like do real people in real life use pickaback versus piggyback?
0: I don't know. I always knew it as piggyback.
1: Yeah, me too. So I was very curious if that's like a Alaskan slang or <laughs> or
0: <laughs> I don't if it's know if like she was in Alaska when she wrote this. I think she was probably in Washington.
1: Okay, so maybe it's like a western US. Yeah. Maybe they say that instead. If you're from the western part oh, of the yeah. U.S. or anywhere else that says pick a back instead of piggyback, let us know. But I've always heard, and maybe I just misheard it. As a, I,
0: I thought it was piggyback as well. Yeah. So
1: I don't know. What a weird thing to call riding on a, somebody's back. But anyway, I just wanted to point that and out. So
0: it was piggyback.
1: Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pickaback kind of makes sense, I guess. While
0: well, she broaches the subject of the walkers, of the people coming down the beach to Amber and Par or Amber and Brashen, and she speaks directly to Amber, saying, "Have you spoken to Paragon yet?" It was easier, so there was no enmity between Brashen and her, but no comfort either. Amber, of course, says, "Not yet. I wanted you to be here." And Althea's like. They're early. We could send Clef down to signal them to delay for a bit. And Amber says, no, the sooner the better. Let's just get it over with. Basically, he will rant and pout, I fear, but I suspect that secretly he may rejoice also. Let's go.
1: And as they go up to talk to Paragon on the foredeck, there is a cute little scene happening where Clef is sitting on a rock in front of Paragon Gasping for breath and red in the face and Paragon makes another farting noise on his pipe and they both are off on a fit of laughter and Paragon's trying to hide his laughter with his hand but little Clef is giggling up a storm unabashedly like a child does
0: and it's really cute. Impression joins in their laughter. Right. Paragon turns blindly toward them and grins. So here you are. Here we are, Amber agreed, all of us. He approached the figurehead, then reached up a gloved hand to touch his forearm. Aragon, we are all here because we wanted to speak to you about something. Something very important. Laughter faded from his face, replaced by uncertainty. Something bad? Something good, Amber said soothingly. At least we all think so. She looked around at the others and then glanced down the beach. Althea followed her gaze. Her mother and Amos Ludluck would be with them very soon. It's about a chance we have to do something good, with your help. We can't do it without you. I'm not a child, the ship said. Speak plainly. His anxiety was building. How could we be together? What good thing? Amber rubbed at her face nervously. She glanced again at Althea and Brash then focused herself on the ship. I know you're not a child. I'm not doing this well... "'because I am so afraid you won't want to join us. "'Paragon, here it is. "'You know of the Vestret family's live ship, Vivacia. "'Pirates have captured her. "'You know all about it. "'You've heard us talking about it, wondering what to do. "'Well, Althea wants to go and rescue them. Brashnan and I want to go, too. "'She took a breath. "'We want you to be the ship that takes us there. "'How would you feel about that?' "'Pirates,' he said breathlessly. "'I don't know. I do not know. "'I like you all. I like being with you. "'No ship should be left with pirates. They're terrible creatures.' "'Elthea began to breathe again. It was going to be all right. "'Have the Ludlucks said they'll take me there?' "'Brashen coughed nervously. "'Amber glanced around, inviting one of them to speak, but neither offered. "'The Ludlucks will allow you to take us there. "'But who?' "'You can't mean there won't be a member of my family aboard.' No live ship sails without a member of his family aboard. And Brashin clears his throat says, I'll be there, Paragon. After all the years we've known one another, you're as close to family as I have. Would I do? No. No, Brashin. I like you, I do, but you're not a Ludluck, and I am. You're my friend, but not my family. I can't sail without a family member aboard. They wouldn't let that happen to me. That would be like them saying they'd given up on me forever, that I'll never, ever be any good. No. He gripped the shepherd's pipes with both hands, but they still shook. No. So he's getting increasingly nervous.
1: Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. Because he's still...
0: Because everyone knows what's coming right here. Yeah. Like, Amos Ludluck is trudging down the beach. They keep glancing over there and see them coming closer and closer. And then he has this last paragraph of, they wouldn't do this to me, because then it's like them saying... I." never ever be any good to them anymore ever again and as readers in your head you're like well here comes amos ludluck notorious for being very very uh tactful obviously around <laughs> paragon so that's not gonna happen
1: <laughs> yeah like oh i just feel so bad for him because he it's he's being so civil for paragon like there's such a change in him from when we first meet him oh, to now yeah. and he's really articulating what he's feeling here and how it's not even that he doesn't like them. He loves them and he understands that this is important and vivasha is in trouble and he doesn't want vivatia to be captured by pirates because that's horrible. But also
0: that needs his, to be a family member.
1: Family has to be on him and that's his family. They, they still like him. That's why they've left him here and not sold him Clearly it's because they still like him and it's that little bit of like childish hope of something that is clearly not true. And I don't know if it's even childish. I think everybody does it when there's something that's too hard to accept. You just kind of tell yourself the easier truth while you can. And so there's this horrible building of tension of poor Paragon who understands the stakes and doesn't want his friends to think it's because he doesn't like them, but also letting them know, like, it's not possible. From what everybody knows, it's not possible to set a sail without family, and my family wouldn't give me up. Yeah. Nobody's family has ever given up a live ship. My family isn't going to be the start. They still love me, even if they won't say it.
0: And Althea's there seeing... Amos Ludluck with her arms crossed in front of her chest, her mouth a flat line with disapproval in her look, glad that Paragon is blind and unable to see her. And she tries to convince him further, saying, "'Please, listen to me. "'It has been years since there was a Ludluck aboard you. "'You have been alone, save for us. "'Nevertheless, you have survived. "'I think you are different from most live ships. "'I think you have a sense of yourself apart from your family. "'I think you have learned to be independent.'" "'I survived only because I could not die,' he roared suddenly. He lifted the pipes high in one hand as if he would dash them at her. Then, in a great show of self-control, he reached over his shoulder to set the precious instrument on his canted foredeck. He was breathing hard through his nose as he turned back to her. "'I live in pain, Althea. I live at the edge of madness. Do you think I do not know that? I have learned. What have I learned?' "'Nothing.' Only that I must go on, and so I go on. An emptiness devours me from within and is never satiated. It eats my days, one at a time, consuming second after dripping second, and every day I grow less, but I never manage to wink out. He gave a sudden wild laugh. <laughs> you say I have self apart from my family? Oh, I do. Yes, I do, a self with talons and teeth so full of misery and fury that I would rend the world to shreds if I could only make it all stop. His voice had risen to a roar. He suddenly flung his arms wide and threw his head back. He shrieked out a cry, inhumanly loud, unbearably sad. Althea clapped her hands over her ears. From the corner of her eye, she saw Amos Ludluck turn and run away. Her mother spun after her. Althea watched as Ronica caught up with her and grabbed her arm. She halted her and turned her around. Althea knew she was remonstrating with her, but had no idea what she was saying. Devad was beside them now, tut tutting and wiping his sweating face with a silk kerchief. Althea knew what had happened. Amos Ludluck had changed her mind. Althea was sure of it. She had lost her only chance to rescue Vivacia. It would not have been so devastating if she could believe Paragon had won, but she could not believe that either. The Ludlucks would not sell Paragon, but they would not sail him. He would stay here on the shores of Bingtown, getting older and crazier with each passing year. Althea wondered if she would do the same. So Althea spirals a little bit after that.
1: (laughs) Right. And for good reason. I understand why she's so upset. It is once again centering herself in this instead of Only being worried about Paragon, but it.
0: And wondering after the passage where he says like, I have teeth and talons and I'm going to rend the world apart if I can make it end.
1: Yeah. And everybody's just like, Oh, nothing to see here. (laughs) It just, yeah. Instead she's thinking about how now she's going to grow old and crazy in Bing town and it's all she has left to look forward to. But I do feel really bad for Paragon here. That. He really has been suffering for a really long time. Oh, yeah. And that's, I don't know. Like
0: 30 years. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's so heartbreaking. And before that, too, because before the 30 years of him being beached, he was tortured with deaths on his deck. Mm -hmm. And the one family member he knew and loved being constantly abused and tortured it hasn't been a good time. And the people that sailed him before this whole thing happened were not good people. Like he has not been, he has had a really hard life and yeah. it's just bad thing after bad thing. And I just feel so bad. Like I want him to catch a break so bad. And he does. And we know that he kind of gets a happy ending, but right now it's just so hard because oh, poor Paragon. I just, ugh. My heart breaks for him.
0: Amber was standing close to him with one hand on the hull, softly talking to him, but he wasn't paying attention. He had dropped his head in his hands and was weeping, shoulder-shaking sobs like a heartbroken child. Clef had drawn closer, staring up wide-eyed at the overcome ship, clenched his teeth on his lower lip, his fists were knotted at his sides. Then all of a sudden Amos Ludluck shouts, Paragon! He jerked his scar visage up from his hands and stared sightlessly about. "'Who's that?' he demanded frantically. He rubbed at his cheeks as if to wipe away tears he had not eyes to cry. He was plainly distressed at having a stranger witness his grief. "'It's Amos Ludluck!' the woman sounded defensive. She said no more than that, waiting for his reaction. The ship looked stunned. "'Why have you come here?' His voice and tone were surprisingly reserved, that of a man rather than a boy. Misery shone from him. He dragged in a breath, composed himself even more. Why, after all these years, have you come to speak to me? She looked more shaken than if he had shouted at her, Althea thought. She fumbled for words. They've told you, haven't they? She finally asked him lamely. Told me what? He asked her mercilessly, I've sold you. You can't sell me. I'm part of your family. Could you sell your daughter? Your son? Amos Ludluck shook her head. No, she whispered. No, I could not. Because I love them and they love me. That is not true of you. "'For as long as I can remember, you have been the bane of my family. "'I was not even born when you, when last you sailed away, "'but I grew up with the pain of my mother and grandmother at their losses. "'You disappeared, and the men of our family went with you, never to return. "'Why? What was it you wished to punish us for, save that we were your family? "'It would have been bad enough if you had, if you had never returned. "'At least we would have been able to wonder.' We could have imagined that you had all gone down together, or that they still lived somewhere alive but unable to get back to us. Instead, you had to come back, to prove to us that you had killed once more. Yet again, you had slain the men of the family who had made you, and left the women to mourn. Here you have been for thirty years, a constant reproach to my family, a symbol of our shame and their guilt. Every ship that passes in or out of the harbor sees you here. There is no one in Bingtown who does not have an opinion as to why you failed. Most lay blame at our door. We've been called greedy, reckless, selfish, and cold-hearted. Some say we deserved what befell us. As long as you were here, we can never forget nor forgive ourselves. It would be better by far if you were gone. They are willing to take you, and we are more than willing to be rid of you. She doused them all with her poisonous words. The pain Althea felt for Paragon left her speechless. The woman's eyes bulged with madness. Perhaps, after all, Paragon was made of the same stuff as the Ludlux. She continues saying that they were a powerful family before Paragon. He was going to be their glory, but instead he beggared them. Well, will you not at least deny it? Speak, O wondrous ship! After all these years, tell me why. Why did you turn on them? Why did you kill our dreams, our hopes, our men? Beside her, Ronica Vestret looks sickened. But the look on Devad Restart's face was the most arresting. He looked disquieted, and yet a sort of righteousness shone in his eyes. "'The Rainwild River,' Devad said quietly. "'Nothing good ever came out of the Rainwilds. Poisonous magic, insidious sickness. That is all that ever—stop it,' Amber hissed. "'Shut up and go away. Go away now. He knows. Here it is. Here it is. Take it. It's yours. It's all yours. All I have in exchange for him, as I promised.'" She flings her shop key, and eventually they turn to go.
1: Right. Um, I do want to quick pause and back up a little bit. Of course, yeah. So just thinking about the Ludluck family tree here, Amos says that her mother and grandmother mourn the loss of the men that left. Mm -hmm. Does that mean it was her mother's husband that left with Paragon? Or her grandfather?
0: I believe it was her grandfather and her father. No, not her father. It'd be her grandfather and one of... Like, her uncle or something. Okay. Uh, I believe. I could be wrong there. Uh, But it was the young boy who went out from Mm Bingtown who became Kenneth's dad.
1: Right. So... This is like Kenneth's second cousin,
0: potentially. We we don't really know the family tree because the Ludlucks, because of all the deaths in their right. family, Right. cousins have come forward to claim. Uh, Cable and Sedge were like the, the first cousins to come and try to resale and right. then a bunch of other stuff happened. So I don't know how the Ludlucks have been. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's fair. Going but on, I, but. I just wanted to know because she specifically says her mother and grandmother were mourning. And so I'm wondering if that meant that her mother's husband is one of the ones that left. Um, So her father, I guess. Because she is like Ronica's age, right? So and we assume Ronica's in her, what, 50s? Um,
0: Maybe 60s. Probably close to 60, I would guess. I don't know.
1: They're probably somewhere around the same age. Kenneth's 20 years younger than that, which somebody runs away and then becomes a pirate and marries somebody in the pirate Isles. that gives enough time so that it could be his half sister.
0: Right. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. I don't know.
1: I don't know either. But anyway, that line specifically really stood out to me and I was like, Oh, I wonder if we could tell from that. But We can't necessarily, but it also makes her whole speech makes me so angry because what, why are you blaming Paragon? I get, I get it. Like he came back more than once overturned, but this time he came back with his eyes chopped off and a burn mark in him. Like clearly he didn't do that. That's not, (laughs) he didn't just. (laughs) like kill everybody on board for no reason if he did kill everybody on board clearly a pirate attack happened so the fact that they're going to be like oh crazy paragon at it again is crazy to me like because before he came back normal this time clearly not normal it just i don't know the whole thing is horrible and it makes me really sad for paragon and like What do you mean, Amos? Oh, they say we're greedy because of you. You guys kind of are, so they're not wrong. And that's not Paragon's fault. That's your family's fault. Like, how are you going to blame a ship for the reputation your human family has in town? I don't know. It just annoys me a little bit. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I am fully Team Paragon, so that's probably why.
0: And Devad interjects there with his own personal uh-huh. hatred of the Rainwilds because, again, he blames them for the death of his family, for the yeah. blood plague.
1: True. But I good for Amber for telling him to shut up. Like, finally, somebody said it to him. <laughs> but also, I think it's good that Paragon can hear that Amber literally sold everything she owned to... Right take paragon to own paragon because i think in this situation specifically that is a showing of love in a way of no matter what happens even if you don't want to sail amber has put up everything just to give you the freedom from that horrible family that you have Mm -hmm. had to deal with
0: yeah amos is kind of waiting for a response but paragon clenches his jaw and Stays is still to make it look like he's just made out of wood and doesn't answer her.
1: Honestly, good for you, Paragon. She doesn't deserve a response. And she probably is mad about it. She's probably mad that she doesn't get to hear anything back.
0: Devad takes her arm and tugs her, saying, Come along. I'll take you home. I think you made the best out of a bad bargain. I think we all have. Good day, Ronica, Althea. Remember, this transaction did not begin with me. We'll remember, Althea said flatly. She didn't watch them go. She's just staring at Paragon. Guilt gnaws at her.
1: What does he mean this transaction didn't start with him? It absolutely did. He's the one who's been badgering the Ludlucks to sell from the beginning. I don't understand what he's trying to say here. And Maybe I'm just not reading it correctly and I'm too obtuse. But do you know what he's trying to say here?
0: Well, He's trying to say that he's not the guilty party here. Like, don't. Don't lay anything at my feet. I'm just the one who brokered the deal.
1: Mm. Oh, if you guys die at sea, that's not my fault sort of deal.
0: Well, I don't know. I don't know if he's going that far.
1: Okay. I don't know. Either way, I hate him so much and it just ugh, whatever. Who cares? Get out of here.
0: So she is in her uh, in her mind. She is now questioning everything. Althea is thinking... Why did I think that Amos would come down here and do anything nicely? Ludluck's spite <laughs> was legendary in Bingtown. Why had she thought the woman would not turn it to her own abandoned ship? Suddenly it all seemed insane. To set sail on a mad ship in the hope, dim hope of seeking out and recovering her family's ship was an errand for a fool. Who else could believe in the success of such an undertaking? Paragon, Amber said quietly. Paragon, she's gone now. Everything is going to be all right, you'll see. It's for the best. You'll be with people who care about you now. Out on the sea again, where a ship belongs. When you next return to Bingtown, you'll be a hero. All will see your value then, even the Ludlucks. Paragon? Clef crept out from behind Brashen. He slipped up to the ship and shyly set a hand to his planking. He looked up at the still figurehead above him. Sometimes, he said earnestly, you have to be your own family. When you're all that's left over.
1: Oh, left of it.
0: All that's left of it, yeah. Paragon did not speak.
1: Poor Paragon. I feel so bad for him.
0: Mm-hmm. He gets over it. That's true. <laughs> that's all we hear from them, though. It's a nice little catch up on that story. We know that a week has passed since the last chapter And then we jump back over to Kenneth, So we get the last point of view of that battle.
1: Right. And he is on board the ship now. When we last left, they were, he and Wintro were going towards the ship. Now they're back on the ship on the crossbatch. And he is super excited. Number one, because it's the beautiful ship and it has lots of nice things in it. But number two, because it, is the first thing he's done, the first ship he's taken with his injury. And so once again, proves that he still has what it takes. He is still somebody
0: to be reckoned with. And Wintro is there to see him. Yeah.
1: And he gets to brag and
0: show off to Wintro. He could almost feel the wonder in the boy at his heels. Well, let him gawk about at the spit and polished little vessel and rethink his measure of captain Kennet. Did young Wintro think he was some one-legged rascal fit only to catch stinking slave ships? let him look about at this and know kennet for one of the best freebooters that had ever sailed the inside passage and so he is feeling very magnanimous he is giving compliments out saying well done a nice bit of piracy as i've ever seen any hostages and sorcor is very pleased at the praise i've kind of missed sorcor in the past you I know, know chapters like Sorcore there, a little Smee, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to balance out Mr. Hook himself. Yes,
1: yeah. Well, it's it's interesting to see Kenneth so happy and affable in this moment because we know. Well, I guess in my opinion, a lot of this is kind of a show for for Wintro's sake. This is trying to be like, look at me, I'm such a good, cool right. guy, and this isn't piracy, isn't that bad at all, and. It makes me wonder if he always acts like this, because when we saw him in the first book and before he had a live ship or lost a leg, he seems pretty crabby all the time. And maybe that's just because he gives praise
0: out. We've yeah, Yeah, I think we're in his head. I think it's mostly because of that. But I think this is over the top for him. Right. But But I don't I don't think it's a complete 180.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, I feel like he's always so crabby and like annoyed with the mess of killing people on decks, even when it's not a slave ship, he's just annoyed at piracy in general. He likes the spoils, but he seems to be a little annoyed. So I don't know. This just feels v- extra fake, but mm-hmm. also because we're in his head, we know that he actually is in a really good mood. Like this is yeah. actually good mood. Kenneth. He is very yeah excited.
0: Sorkor gives a little rundown and says, yeah, we just have the ship's officers as hostages. We asked everybody else if they wanted to live and join us, but they fought instead. And he directs directs Kennet to where the officers are. They're confined below. Their mate took a couple bad knocks to the head before he'd go down, but he'll be fine. There's a pretty tally of other loot too. The slaves are okay. Some are a bit rattled at the sudden change, but they'll come around losses sorkor's grin faded heavier than we expected sir there's a couple dead and there's one of the young sailors previous ship's boy opal got his face laid open to the teeth he's wild with the pain i sent him back to the marietta already he was screaming something awful opal kenneth considered have him sent over to Vivacia. wintrow will do what he can with him in a bit lad has a knack for healing
1: Also, Kemper lost an eye. Yes. Why why does Kennet send Opal to Wintro to be Wintro's like care in Wintro's care?
0: Give him something to do? I don't know.
1: Maybe he really does think Wintro will
0: be able to heal Opal, and so then it'll be I mean kind of, yeah, because Kenneth had that experience with Wintro, right? Yeah, that's a skill. Yeah. He points out that Sorkor has a cut on his arm. Sorkor is grinning, embarrassed a little bit, saying, Oh, I had two swords. The other captain had one. I shouldn't have gotten cut. And he sends uh, Sorkor to get stitched up by Edda.
1: And then says, Wintro, let's take a quick look at what we've won today. And then decidedly is, makes it not a quick look.
0: Yes. Kenneth deliberately led the boy through every hold. He showed him all the loot that they got from this. All of this, Kenneth explained to him, was the fruit of slavery. Pretty as they might be, they had been bought with blood. Did Wintrow think it right that men such as Avery and his backers be allowed to keep their ill-gotten gains? As long as slavery is profitable, men will traffic in it. Greed was what brought your own father into this game. It was his downfall. I intend to see that it is the downfall of all who trade in human flesh. Wintrow nods slowly. Kennet was not sure if he was completely convinced of the captain's sincerity. Perhaps that didn't matter.
1: Well, the interesting thing is greed isn't necessarily what brought Kyle in it, into the trade. Right. Which, of course, Kenneth doesn't know. But I don't know if Wintrow knows either, to be fair. It was the debt. He right. needed to do the most profitable trading to get rid of debt that the family is in. It wasn't about becoming super wealthy, which I guess it Mm -hmm. kind of is right. But it wasn't necessarily the greed that spurred him on. Not that I think it makes it okay or that that excuses what Kyle's choices were, but it's interesting to see, can it be like, Oh yes, your father, nothing but a greedy man when he doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. So, and I guess who would be able to tell him otherwise is a pretty good assumption. Right. I don't know. Just a fun little detail. I thought.
0: So Kennet says, let's go back to Vivatia. I wanted you to see all these spoils and hear from Sorcor himself that we did offer them a chance to live. What more could we have done, eh? It was the perfect end note. He should have known it was too good to last. As he and Wintro emerged onto the deck, three female slaves hurried toward him. Before they could reach him, Etta stepped in front of them, stopping them with her hand on the hilt of her blade. They cowered together as she stared at them. Etta spoke to Kennet. Bit of a problem here. These three are insisting they don't want to be freed. They want to be ransomed with the captain and mate. And why is that? He ran his eye over them. They were all comely women, young and smooth-skinned. Their slaves' tattoos were tiny, pale things, barely visible in the sunlight. Etta says that they would rather go on being slaves than have to find their own lives in Divi Town. Used to being rich men's pets, they are. I'm a poet, not a whore, one woman broke in angrily. Captain Avery came to Jamalia City to buy me especially for Sapcordor. He is a wealthy noble and know, well-known for as a fair-handed master. If I go to him, he will provide for me and let me pursue my art. If I go with you, who knows what I must do to support myself? Even if I continue to compose, who will be my audience, save thieves and cutthroats in a backwater scum town? Maybe you'd rather sing for the serpents, Edda suggested sweetly. The poet refused to flinch as she draws her blade and touches the tip lightly to the woman's belly. She gave her head a shake and stared at Kennet instead. Kenneth asked the other two what they are, and one of them weaves tapestries, and one of them is a body servant skilled in massage and the lesser healings, and they are also slaves on their way to Sep Corridor. Kenneth's jovial tone woke an answering sparkle in Etta's eyes. She casually put more pressure on her blade to nudge the first one back into line with the others. The other two slaves nodded. And Kenneth dismisses them, basically, and turns to Wintrow and says, There, you see? That is what slavery does, Wintrow. A rich man buys their talents for his own glory. He buys them for money. They do not even know they are whores. Not one has enough pride to speak her own name. They have become a part of their master already. What shall I do with them? As he is limping away, he gives a small sigh and says, oh, ransom, with, ransom them with the others. Inspiration struck Kenneth. Whatever they bring in ransom, we will divide amongst those who have chosen freedom. It will give them a better start. You see, he says to, Ke- to Wintrow, I do not force people to my way of thinking. I won't force you nor Vivatia. I think you are already coming to see that I am not the wicked pirate you supposed me to be. He is very good at turning every situation into further convincing arguments for Vivacia or Wintro as this case may be.
1: Yeah, he is really good and he's really personable. He's really it's like regal to me in that just because they have evil intent doesn't mean that they are bad at manipulating people, unfortunately. They're both they both have really big talents in this area. And Kenneth especially is able to turn every situation on its head. And this I guess really did make me think of Regal because Regal always was ready to roll with the punches. If something didn't go exactly the way he planned, he didn't even hesitate to turn a new direction and say, Yeah, this was always my plan all along. Right. And that in you see that here with Kenneth where he is annoyed because he had this perfect end note to make it seem like a nice little fantasy. And yet here come these three people, these three women saying we would rather be slaves. And how's that going to look, you know, but then he's able to immediately, you know, say, ah, more of a teaching moment. Of
0: course, this is what slavery does. Yeah.
1: They don't even realize that they're, that they're selling themselves, but We'll we'll allow them, maybe since this guy paid so much for them the first time, he'll pay more Mm -hmm. um, to get them. But either way, I'm going to be benevolent. I'm this benevolent guy. I'm not a scary pirate. I'm a king looking after my kingdom.
0: So as they're walking away, Kennet talks to Wintrow again, asking, Have you ever imagined what it would be like to be a captain of your own ship? A sweet little vessel like this, perhaps? She's a lovely ship, but no, my heart does not lie in that direction. Given my freedom, I'd still return to my monastery. Kenneth says, oh, but your tattoo doesn't matter. You're not a slave. And he's like, no, it's not a tattoo that makes me a slave. It is my blood that binds me to vivatia almost as firmly as chains. The bond grows us between us grows stronger with every passing day. I think that perhaps I could still leave her and find completeness in a life dedicated to Sa. But that would be a selfish act, one that would leave her forever hollowed by my absence. I do not think I could find serenity, knowing that I had left her. And do you not think that she could ever accept me in your stead? I, for I only want what will make the both of you happy. Your monastery for you, if it can be managed without destroying the ship's spirit. Muntro shook his head slowly. It would have to be someone of my blood, someone who shares a family tie with the ship. Only that could keep her from going mad at the abandonment. I see. Well, that does leave us in a fix, doesn't it? He patted the boy's shoulder comfortingly. Perhaps I shall be able to think of something that would make us all happy.
1: I find it a little bit weird that Wintro so honestly talks about the burden it I is know. to be part of Vivacia when he's with Kennet and not on Vivatia.
0: This felt a bit weird.
1: Yeah. It was like, I know he does feel that way. I don't think that's out of character, but it is out of character for to me for him to say it to Kennet at maybe this was, point in time.
0: Maybe he was lulled by all the uh, the benevolent behavior that Kennet was expressing and his convincing flawless logic, as <laughs> Wintrow was saying before.
1: Right. I don't know. It definitely could be. It just... It just felt a little weird. And I don't love that he is taking any opportunity off the boat to crap talk Vivacia. Right. Which I don't know. And it's hard, right? Because they've, they have a really tough relationship right now. But also I thought that he kind of got over the idea of going back to the monastery a long time ago. I felt, I, th-
0: I think with the relationship between he and Vivatia now, he's just like, well, she doesn't really want me here.
1: Mm, so like might as well go back yeah, to where I am wanted. Exactly. That's fair. But yeah, I don't know. This whole, yeah, that whole section is a little weird. And I don't know. Do you believe that. Can it would allow Wintro to go back to a monastery?
0: Um, maybe. I I think it's a contingency plan. If like the plan plays out how he wants. So he gets a child from Wintro with Etta and the child can then be, you know, taught exactly how Kenneth wants, then he yeah. might allow him to. But I think he would want to kind of hold on to Wintro as long as he could.
1: That's fair. It just feels odd because Kenneth kills people for less that he right. would allow Wintro to walk free.
0: It seems like kind of a, a last resort kind of thing because mm. Kenneth seems fairly focused on teaching Wintro and changing his mindset first. Fair.
1: I wonder if Kenneth would like take him to his mom's island and be like, why don't you be a priest here? I can't obviously let you go.
0: Oh, uh, maybe, um, maybe. Be a
1: priest for my mom and make her happy or whatever. He might. Interesting.
0: Well, and then we jump over to Etta's point of view. We're getting everybody's point of view in this uh, (laughs) this vivacious ship. All right, so we get a little explanation of what's happening here. They are underway once again. They're kind of in between or excuse me, the cross patches in between Marietta and Vivacia. They're kind of escorting her out. They want to get as far away from the ambush spot as possible. at a Relais, that kind of thinks it's best to disappear for a while and then show up with the ransom in a month or two or something like that. And then it'll get done much quicker because of that anticipation and mystery.
1: Right. Also to point out, a little bit of time has passed because the last point of view you we were in, they were still on the crossbatch and now Etta is on the vivacia, and it's been some time because they're all moving towards the
0: next goal. Yep, and it's night. Yes. Kennet himself was on the wheel. Etta tried not to be annoyed at that. After all the time he had spent talking with the ship earlier today, it seemed as if he could rest now. It had been a long day for all of them. She herself had sewn up Sorcor's arm the big man had sat still, te- teeth clenched in a grin of pain as she closed the long slash up his arm. She didn't enjoy such work, but at least she he hadn't been screaming like poor Opal. So we learn a little bit more that Opal has been brought over to the vivacia, And he struggled as they pinned him down. A sword cut had laid open his cheek and nose to the bone. Yeah, really gross. <laughs> yeah. It would have to be stitched if he was going to eat normally ever again.
1: Right. And it was really hard because he wasn't letting people touch him. Mm -hmm. And when Wintrow tried to hold it closed, he refused. They ended up needing to get a surgeon that was one of the freed slaves to come over to their ship to help. And the surgeon, seeing that Opal was struggling so much, said that it would be best to do a little bit of bloodletting to make him calm down.
0: Yeah, basically weakened him Yes, <laughs> so he yeah. couldn't struggle.
1: Which feels like not good advice, but pretty on par with whatever time period this is supposed to be. So. Yes.
0: Edda had watched for a time whilst Kenneth had spent the time explaining the process to the ship. The pain the boy endured was necessary. He could not be healed without it. Kenneth compared it to the necessary killing he did in his effort to rid these waters of slavers. Wintrow had scowled at the words, but his task of catching Opal's blood had kept him busy. He'd been very conscientious about it, insisting that canvas be put down thickly to keep even a drop from staining the live ship's decks. Eventually, Opal's hoarse cries of pain subsided to muted little sighs, and they took up their needles to make the boy's face whole again. He would never be as pretty as he had been, but he would be able to eat. It had been Opal's first time to be a part of the boarding party. Bad luck had caught him, that was all. Etta is currently stitching a skirt together. She got her first pick of the fabric and the loot from the other other hold, and they're going to ransom off the rest, or sell off the rest, I guess. But she got to uh, pick her own stuff, and it crinkles nicely, and she's making her own little creation here.
1: Right, and it's a really nice cedar green, and Mm -hmm. yeah, nice
0: fabric. (laughs) It made a slight crackling sound. Kenneth would like it. He could appreciate sensation at those times when he let himself focus on it. Not that those times had been as frequently as she could hope for. She looked around and shakes her head. Ungrateful woman. It had not been that long since he was flat on his back, burning with fever. She should be grateful that he had recovered his manly appetites at all. She had heard that some never did after they had been maimed. She picked up a brush and drew it down her thick hair, sleeking it down. She was letting it grow longer. Soon it would be to her shoulders.
1: It's, I don't know. I feel really bad because is Edda, here like, oh, I'm so ungrateful. I shouldn't think that way about Kenneth. He's such a nice guy. And I'm like, no, he's not. <laughs> think meaner <laughs> thoughts. like. <laughs> but she is, you know, she's into him. Kenneth's the one for her. She is really yeah. fully in love with Kenneth at this point.
0: When she had been a whore, she had never imagined that she would come to this, longing for a man's touch rather than wishing they would just get on with it and finish. Then again, she had never imagined that she would feel jealous of a ship. Now that was foolishness. And she thinks it's foolishness, but at the same time, she knows she's jealous of the ship.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. And... For good reason. I mean, the ship takes a lot of Kennet's attention and she can feel the ship in the room whenever they have their special alone time. So there's just she gets a weird vibe from Vivatia and Vivatia is kind of in love with Kennet. So it's not that weird that yeah. she feels jealousy, I guess, in this way.
0: Then we get a little glimpse into her longing to read and write. She doesn't know anything of what the scratches mean on the paper or how Kenneth can keep track of them. But she's tidying up after Kenneth, and she's explaining that sometimes she just kind of looks at him and watches him while he writes.
1: When he allows her to. Yes.
0: It was a man's skill, she supposed. From the deck outside, she heard Briggs' voice raised in command. I, I want to actually address that. Yes, when he allows her to, but... I would not want to have somebody watch me and stare at me while I'm writing something down. I'm just not that kind of person, you know, I just,
1: I mean, I guess I probably wouldn't really notice. And even if I did, it would just be such a, like, that's kind of weird. But if they're not like sitting right next to me, watching me intently, like, I don't think she is. I don't think, I think she's like across the room trying to just like see what's going on and not like staring. (laughs) I I made a face and (laughs) this is an audio format, but just like wide-eyed staring at Kennet. Yeah. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so she hears people like settling down for the night. So she goes to look for Kenneth just to see what's going on. Let's come on. <laughs> Let's wrap it up.
1: Yeah. Come back to bed, please. And as she goes, she passes by Wintro and Opal. Mm-hmm. And Opal doesn't look so good. He looks really
0: pale. "'He feels chilled to me,' she observed. "'And Wintrow was paler than Opal. "'I know.' "'More to himself than her,' he added. "'He seems so weak. "'I am sure the surgeon did what was best. "'I wish the night was warmer. "'Why not take him below, away from the night chill? "'I think he takes more good from being here "'than he would from being below. "'You believe your ship has healing powers? "'Not on the body, but she lends strength to his spirit.' and helps it heal the body. I thought that was what your saw did, she observed. It is, he agreed. She could have mocked him then, asking him if he still needed a god if he had this ship. Instead, she suggested, go get some sleep, you look exhausted. I am, but I'm going to sit with him tonight. It doesn't seem right to leave him alone. The surgeon we learn has gone back over to the Marietta to help some of the other injured. He's done what he could here on Vivacia and has moved on to the other patients. And Ella asks after Kenneth. Winchell glances toward the figurehead. It took her a moment to pick out his silhouette, for he shared a shadow with Vivacia. Oh, she said quietly. She did not usually seek him out when he was talking to the ship, but having asked after him aloud, she could not very well just walk away. Trying to appear casual, she joins him. And after a moment, she observes, the attack went well today. Are you telling me that because you think I don't know it? He put a small bite of sarcasm on the words. Will you do it again? Use that channel that way? I might. His brief answer chilled her effort at conversation. The ship was blessedly silent, but Etta still felt her presence as an intrusion. She wished they were aboard the Marietta. There she could have contrived to move closer to him and make him aware of her. Here, the ship was like a duenna. Even in the privacy of the cabin, Etta felt her presence. She smoothed the hand down her skirt, taking the pleasure in the crinkle and rustle of the fabric. Before we were interrupted, Vivacious said abruptly, we were discussing plans for tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's really interesting here because of how quickly Kenneth switches how he's treating Etta. But at least to begin...
0: fairly cold it's like why are you here i'm doing something stay in your place
1: and it's kind of weird it kind of feels like boyfriend cheating on girlfriend vibes like the his girlfriend comes over and all of a sudden he can't talk to the girl he's just talking to gotta be really quiet (laughs) i don't know it's just strange to me but whatever he is trying to woo Vivacia. maybe that's why it feels so weird
0: so they talk about their plans for tomorrow and they're ignoring edda Edda's jealousy simmered, but she refused to stalk off. Kenneth is saying, you know, if we encounter other ships, then it's going to be your turn. And Vyvesha's like, I'm not sure if I'm ready. I still don't know. All the blood, the suffering. Humans feel such pain. Kenneth sighed. I suppose I should not have brought Opal aboard. I was worried about the boy and wanted him near me. I didn't think you would mind. I don't, really, Vyvesha added hastily. Kennet went on speaking as if he hadn't heard her. I don't enjoy watching his pain either, but what sort of a man would I be to turn away from it? Shall I turn aside from one who has taken hurt for my sake? For four years, my ship has been the only home that he has known. He wanted to be a part of the boarding party today. Oh, how I wish Sorkor had stopped him. I know he did it to impress me. Kenneth's voice choked with emotion. Poor lad. Young as he is, he was still willing to risk everything for what he has come to believe in. His words came tighter as he said, I fear I have been death of him. If I had not undertaken this crusade, Etta could not help herself. She had never heard Kennet speak such words. She had never imagined he carried such depth of pain inside him. She stepped close to him and took his hand. Oh, Kennet, Etta said softly. Oh, my dear, you cannot take it all upon yourself. You cannot. For an instant, he stiffened as if affronted. The figure had glared at her. Then Kennet turned... And to her shock, he dropped his head down to rest it on her shoulder. But if I do not? He asked wearily. Oh, Edda, if I do not take this on, who will? Her heart broke with tenderness for the strong man who suddenly leaned on her. <laughs> As you're shaking your head over there.
1: It just, it's so annoying. And it's, it doesn't not make sense. Like, I do think this is within character, but it is a little odd to me that she's not like, whoa, kind of weird how can kind of suddenly emotional and nice but i guess there have been
0: times yeah know.
1: the um the charm. charm has mm-hmm. talked to her in that way so she knows he's capable of it and that's it but it just like is a little weird like i said not unrealistic and not surprising it just feels a little weird to me personally <laughs> but yeah this it's so interesting to see how can it works in real time through the point of view of somebody who is smitten with him and right. falls for it. Yeah. Because we have, we have Etta who is not necessarily thinking anything negative about Kenneth. She doesn't find this to be a manipulation tactic However, we as the reader know that it has to be that because we know how he feels. And so it's interesting to see the little signs that he is putting on a play, like that moment of looking almost affronted before he leans into, oh, yes, Etta, comfort me. Yeah.
0: And then she's comforting him, saying, you must not take it all on yourself. It will come out all right. You'll see all your followers love you. "'Whatever would I do without them? I could not go on.' His shoulders shook briefly as if he suppressed a sob. He coughed instead. No, he's laughing there. He's trying trying. not to laugh.
1: Yeah, he for sure almost
0: laughed out loud there. Mm -hmm. And Vivatia and Edit both lap it up, and Vivatia cuts in saying, "'Captain Kennet, I did not mean that I don't share your ideals. I only said I was not sure if I was ready to completely—' "'It's all right. No, really. It's all right.' His reply cut off the ship's, even as his tone dismissed her words as mere courtesy. We have only known one another a short time. It is far too soon for me to ask you to throw your fate in with mine. Good night, Vivatia. Ah, Etta, my sweet, I fear my leg pains me tonight. Could you help me to our bed? Of course, it touched her. Bed would be wisest. There was some scented oil on the cross patch. I took some. I know how your crutch makes your back and shoulder ache. Let me warm the oil and rub them for you. Your faith in me gives me such strength, Etta, he confided to her. He stopped suddenly, and she halted beside him, confused. With an odd deliberation, he took her chin in his hand and turned her face up to his. He leaned down and kissed her slowly. The openness of this demonstration of affection warmed her. He ran his hands over her, the fabric of her skirt crackling to his touch as he snugged her close to him. He had placed her on a pinnacle for all to see his feelings as he kissed her. She felt glorified by it. He broke the kiss at last, but kept his arms around her. She trembled like a virgin. Wintrow, Kenneth said quietly. At a turn, her head to find the young man looking up at them wide-eyed. If anything happens with Opal in the night, you will come to me right away. Yes, sir, Wintrow whispered. His eyes traveled over both of them. All like hunger was in his eyes.
1: Do you think... And it started playing into the, oh, Etta, you're right, you should comfort me, role because of how Vivatia was reacting or because of how Wintra was reacting?
0: I think Vivatia and then only did that for Vivacia, and then saw Wintra's reaction to it and then planned for stuff later. Mm, I see. So Etta is... Helping uh, Kennet back to bed. And Vivacia calls after him. Kenneth, I believe in you. In time, I will be ready. Of course you will, he said politely. Good night, ship. And they eventually go to their cabin.
1: And they have some adult fun time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for the first time ever, Kenneth isn't selfish in this adult fun time. He is kind of asking
0: like help me please you you yeah
1: he's asking etta to take the lead almost in that she's telling him what to do Mm -hmm. and etta in this feels like he's really seeing a new side of what romance can be and the power that there is in being in control of somebody else's pleasure although
0: she does say does say he was not an apt pupil. No. And he was, but eventually when he learns or starts to learn that there's some sort of mastery to this, he becomes better. Which right. Kind of it's all about control.
1: Oh, yeah. Which is, ugh, whatever. Like, way to make something that could be cute. Icky. Thanks, Robin Hobb. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like, which also is wild to me that this is the first time that, like, she's getting anything out of this relationship pleasure wise and is still so smitten with him outside of it. Like, I don't know. It just,
0: well, considering how her profession was before, he's still treating her with more tenderness than anyone else has.
1: I guess. Yeah.
0: It's a rough life in Dippy town.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I feel bad for her, I guess is all I'm saying. Yeah. And Yeah. yeah. So she enjoys a wonderful time. And as eventually
0: says, please kind of enough.
1: Yeah. And then as they're laying there cuddling, he flicks her with wizard wood navel ring a little painfully because it startles her and she kind of winces from it and then asks.
0: Does this come off?
1: Yeah. Does this come off? And she says it could, but I'm really careful about not doing that. And then he said, would you be able to have a baby?
0: I could," she admitted, guardedly. "Good." He lay down beside her with a contented sigh. "I might want you to have a child. If I wanted you to have a baby, you'd do that for me, wouldn't you?" Her throat clenched so she could scarcely speak. She whispered, "Oh yes, yes." So manipulative <laughs> it is because it's not his baby.
1: No, and he is not intending that intention. for Winthrop. <laughs> yeah, and of course, after all of this. She thinks it's with him and that this is him really admitting that he loves her even without saying it. Right. right? She's thinking, oh, he wants to start a family with me Mm -hmm. like I'm his woman. And he's over here like, hey, this fixes the windrow problem.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And would get her off my back a bit. Yeah. (laughs) But still keep her around to do stuff.
1: So, yeah, Uh, poor Etta just down the rabbit hole more deeply.
0: And we're back with Kenneth. Oh, and we really see it. It's not, uh, see it from his point of view that it wasn't such a wonderful night. Yeah. Of spontaneity.
1: He wakes up to scratching at the door and it's Wintro. Opal has died in the night.
0: Mm-hmm. That wasn't good. The whole idea had been that Opal would endure pain and then survive it. It was supposed to be an object lesson for Vivacia. Kennet shook his head in the darkness. "'Now what? Could it be saved?' "'Captain Kennet?' Wintrow sounded desperate. Kennet pitched his voice low. "'Don't question it, Wintrow. Accept it. That's all we can do. We are, after all, only men. "'Go and get some rest, lad. Tomorrow morning is soon enough to face this sorrow. I know you tried, Wintrow. Don't feel you have failed me. "'Sir?' After a moment, he heard the soft pat at the boy's feet as he moved away. Kenneth lay back down. So, what would he say to the ship tomorrow? Something about a sacrifice. Something that made Opal seem noble and inspiring instead of just dead. The words would come to him if he just relaxed and trusted his luck. He put his arms up above his head and leaned back on the pillows. His back ached abominably. He had no idea that women had such stamina. And then his charm talks to him.
1: Yeah. Vivacia is super jealous.
0: Yes, Vivacia is roiling with jealousy. But that was what you intended, wasn't it? If you know so much, why do you ask so many questions? To hear you admit what a cad you are. Do you feel anything at all for Etta? Are you not ashamed at all at what you do to her? Ashamed? She has not suffered at my hands. On the contrary, I gave her a night to night she will never forget. And at no small cost to myself, he added petulantly. Such a performance, the little wizard would face, muttered sarcastically. Did you fear the ship would not know that if she did not cry out with pleasure? I assure you, Vivatia is keenly aware of you at all times. It was your efforts on Etta's behalf that scalded her, not any pleasure Etta took. So, how aware of the ship are you? So we learn a little bit more here that the charm is very aware of the ship or tries to be very aware of the ship.
1: Right. And though Vivacia does guard against the charm, she's so big and vast in comparison that there's no way for her to possibly guard herself fully.
0: Yes. And he also asks about Wintrow. Do you feel Wintrow through the ship? And the charm's like, what? Do you need to know more than how he sounded when he came to bring you the news? He was devastated by Opal's death. Not about Opal's death, Kenneth said impatiently, I saw him watching us, when I kissed Etta in front of Vivacia. It surprised me. Does he have feelings for the whore? Don't call her that, the charm warned in a low growl. If you speak of her like that again, I shall tell you nothing. Does he find Etta attractive? Kenneth persisted. He is naive. He admires her. I doubt he would presume to find her attractive. The small voice paused. Your little display tonight set him thinking for a time. You will contrast that with Opal's death. An unfortunate coincidence, Kenneth muttered. He fell silent, considering how he could make Wintrow uh, more aware of Etta. He should have her wear more jewelry, he decided. Boys were always attracted to sparkly things. He would display her as an attractive possession. Oh, man. We get a lot of Kenneth here. It's not quite done with the chapter, getting close. But we get a lot of Kennet just being... Totally uncaring about Opal's death.
1: Yeah, he doesn't care. No.
0: He tried to use it as an object lesson instead of, you know, caring for the boy. And that's why he brought Opal over. To make it an object lesson for Vivatia. See, we we all suffer. There is pain. You have to endure the violence. But then mm-hmm. we get through and we heal and it's fine. Right. And now he has to think of something else. And then completely not caring, again, about Wintrow's feelings about Opal's death. It's like, no. Does he find Etta attractive? Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just... (sighs) Typical Kenneth.
0: Oh, yeah. The charm asks, Why did you ask her about a baby tonight? A passing thought, Kenneth responds. A child might be useful. Much depends on how Wintrow develops. The charm was baffled. I don't understand what you are suggesting. I suspect if I did, I would find it repugnant. I don't see why. How could a child be useful to you? The charm demanded. I won't be quiet until you answer me. Kennet drew a weary breath and sighed it out. A child would content the ship. If Wintrow becomes too intractable, if he interferes with me persuading the ship to obey me willingly, well, he could be replaced. With your own child by Etta? The charm asked incredulously. "'Kennett chuckled. "'No, of course not. "'Now you are being ridiculous. "'Wintrow would have to father the child. "'So it would be of the ship's family.' "'He gave a, gave a deep sigh of satisfaction, then frowned. "'I imagine a baby aboard would be a nuisance. "'It would be simpler if Wintrow learned to accept his fate. "'The boy has great potential. He, "'He thinks. "'I simply have to school him to think my way. "'Perhaps I shall take him to the other's oracle.' Perhaps they could persuade him. It is, it is his destiny. Let me speak to him instead, the charm offered. Perhaps I could persuade him to kill you. Kennet chuckled appreciatively and released himself into sleep. And there we get the full extent of his manipulations and plans for the future. And this all kind of came off on a whim. Yeah,
1: his luck brought him to this solution.
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, so gross. Yeah. All of that all of that was for the benefit of making people see his way of thinking yeah in terms of piracy
1: yeah it's
0: and his need for control
1: yeah he wants to be able to control everyone and it's i don't know it's it's gross obviously but it's also kind of odd like how does he think he's going to convince eda to sleep with Wintro. How's he going to get her to do that and not have it break her heart that he's having a baby. She's having a baby with Wintro.
0: Right. I mean, this is just the beginnings of his plan. Right. 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 And eventually he does push them together. Like Wintro teaches her how to read and write. Mm-hmm. And I think he distances himself even more. And doesn't he send them over to a different ship? I think they go to the Marietta.
1: Oh, maybe. And yeah. he
0: stays on Vivacia. So he like separates them and it's alone time for them only. He right. just like tries to create that gap between both of them mm-hmm. and him. So they have to rely on each other.
1: But yet she still becomes pregnant by Kenneth and I don't really remember.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. How, we'll we'll have to read it for right. everything, but I I know that Wintro is kind of like falls in love with her, but I don't think Edda ever cares for him like that. Yeah,
1: that's fair. I mean, yeah, he's a kid, and I guess do we know how old that is? Probably a kid herself
0: mostly, like yeah, probably I would guess around Althea's age-ish okay. maybe mid twenties at the most,
1: right she's been around for she's known Kenneth for a couple years, yeah. but I mean, she worked at a brothel. I'm sure they're not checking their the IDs of the person coming <laughs> to work, you know what I mean, right. so I don't know
0: I would guess she was in. Lower twenties. Okay. That would, that would be my guess.
1: Yeah. I, I feel comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that
0: could be busy chapter with lots of point of view hopping.
1: Yes. And lots of emphasis on the pirates.
0: Hmm. Well, it is called piracy. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in this week. As always, if you have opinions on what we're talking about, if you have opinions on the rest of the books in the series, please let us know. We want to hear what you're thinking. You can email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can go to our website, isfitshappy.com and find all of our links to socials in there. You know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, threads. We're all on all of those platforms at isfitshappy. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, see you guys next week.